0: and beans I hope you are stepping into this day like the queen or bean that you are today's conversation is all about exploring wherever you find yourself it's about flexing the muscle of wonder and having the strength to find it in the simple fascinations of a patch of grass on the sidewalk going to seed or an ice cold creek waiting for your feet to go crunching through For today's conversation, we're joined by Kristen Drake, director and lead teacher for Fern Hollow Forest School, a multi-age child-led outdoor preschool that centers play and nature as the central features of learning. Fern Hollow is founded on the philosophy, and I quote, that children learn by acting things out, trying or repeating new concepts during play. It is in the safe realm of play that they're able to test out new ideas and through repeated play, they're able to internalize concepts and focus on the process of what they're doing rather than the product. This is what gives children the ability to develop mastery of any skill. Because focusing on and enjoying the process is what allows people to practice, to try things over and over again until they get it right to try new ideas or think outside the box without fear of failure holding them back and most importantly to love learning so that they will want to continue learning for the rest of their life." End quote. Through this fascinating conversation that weaves together Kristen's formal education in early childhood education and her extensive reading on alternatives to the modern public schooling model whose original purpose was to prime children for labor in manufacturing plants, we uncover the shifts in perspective and place that can radically alter our experience of learning as children and as adults who are hungry for nonjudgmental spaces to let our curiosity unfurl. No place invites us to do that like our home, nature. Hello Kristen. Hello. Thank you very much for being here today to talk about Fern Hollow Forest School. I want to start by asking you what has been rejuvenating for you lately.
1: I think what has been most rejuvenating to me lately has been rest. Mm. I've been learning that wintertime is a time when humans naturally rest and that that's okay. Amen. (laughs) Um, So I've been really trying to allow myself to
0: do that lately. That's fantastic and phenomenal. I'm really happy for you and (laughs) I've been right there. So you are the founder of Fern Hollow Forest School. I want to ask you how this model kind of changes our script and our expectations around play and learning for children and why you think it's needed um, as a another way of doing education?
1: Yeah, well, I think play is the way that children naturally learn. Um, and I think for most of human history, up until really just a couple hundred years ago, um, all children learn, learned through playing and through watching adults. And it's only been very recently that people have gotten this idea that we need to sit children down and fill their minds with information and that that information needs to be determined by adults instead of children Mm. deciding on their own what they would like to learn.
0: What does a day-to-day experience of forest school based on that principle look like?
1: Sure, Um, well, once we get out to um, our forest school location, we do a circle time to help orient everybody and kind of check into the space So we sing some songs and read stories. Um, We'll ask the kids some open-ended awareness questions to get them looking around and noticing what's around them. Mm. Um, And then they play for about an hour and a half. Um, Sometimes we will have little things that we will drop in front of them to kind of like motivate the play or help them notice things that are outside. But for the most part, they play based on what inspires them. Um, we might go for a walk or we might stay near the circle place and the grownups are there to facilitate the play and be there and keep everyone safe. Um, but the kids use a lot of imagination and they kind of decide day to day what it is they're gonna do.
0: How do you think that supports and nurtures learning and self-development for the three to five-year-olds, three to six-year-olds?
1: It's three to six-year-olds right now. Um, Our summer camps include elementary-age kids, too. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but next year I think we're switching to just three to five for the the preschoolers.
0: So how do you think that kind of open-ended invitation to play and be outside, be together, helps these three to six-year-olds learn?
1: I think when children are interested in what they're learning and when it comes from their own motivation inside of themselves, I think that information sticks with them a lot more. The information is more relevant, they get a more deeper understanding out of it, and then it stays there. Whereas if something was shown to them on a worksheet, or a YouTube video, or an adult explained it in a long lecture, it wouldn't really be meaningful to them. And so the information wouldn't really stay with them. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that that internal motivation is, is really important.
0: Internal motivation, definitely. It's something that as adults, I know I talk about with my friends, um, kind of coming to a point in life where we're tr- we're trying to learn new skills that our cultural and personal background didn't prepare us to even be aware of as options, let alone kind of self-explore. How do you think that what you're doing with this learning, this kind of learning at Forest School, um, how do you think it helps young kids develop an intrinsic sense of motivation to be curious?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think really kind of just putting a children in a, a rich environment like a forest or anywhere outside, like a park or a backyard or a field There are so many layers and details to what's going on outside, even in a suburban yard or an urban yard. Um, There's just so much to discover, and young children are hardwired to discover and explore everything. They want to take everything apart. They want to look at every little detail. I love going for a walk with young children because they help me notice things that I would just blow right past. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they will sit there and, like, you know we have longer grass in the pasture that's out there and so it's not like the grass in in a backyard it's it's got the seeds on the end and they'll sit there and like pick off the tiny individual seeds on the grass and think oh what is this stuff And like what can it do you know and so i think providing them with a rich environment just allows their natural curiosity to come forward and then they're developing that motivation that's inside themselves to stop and look at that grass and say, what are these little things on the end of the grass? And maybe an adult, if they're receptive, could come in and talk about seeds and what seeds are and the cycle of life. But maybe not if they're not into it. Um, And when I was studying early childhood education at JMU, they talked a lot about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and how intrinsic motivation that comes from inside yourself is what leads people to do the right thing when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. If you kind of internalize a concept or something that you've learned like that's a part of you and you're going to do that no matter what anybody else says. If you have extrinsic motivation that comes from constantly being told what to do by others and by information coming from other people and um you know just the type of learning that we all kind of grew up with yeah then you're not necessarily going to do the right thing when no one's watching you're going to do what you're supposed to do to be a good little boy or girl Mm. and to get your gold star and then that's it and it (laughs) stops there and once you get your gold star you're done um so when they're motivated by whatever interests them in the moment then they're kind of developing that strong sense of self
0: yeah That is really interesting, and when I was working as a volunteer coordinator at Vine and Fig, which is a permaculture education site, it's a place where a lot of school groups, whether it's elementary school age or college age and everything in between, they would come and learn about some different permaculture principles, which is all about, you know mimicking the wisdom of ecosystems trying to design in a similar way as ecosystems or the patterns in ecosystems are observed and like using those design principles to figure out ways to kind of like create positive feedback loops that create better nutrition for the soil and that make growing plants or capturing water or whatever um easier and more efficient and more mutually beneficial and there were a lot of times when I was working with a school group and we would talk to the kids about this is how compost works and do you want to touch it and here's the earthworms and isn't this so cool that we can like build the next season and the next generation of fertility and like food with our food scraps. And to be honest with you, a lot of the times those attempts at, like, fascination and isn't this so wonderful fell completely flat. And (laughs) the kids were like, that's dirt. Like, I'm not touching that. That's really gross. And we also don't care. Like, half the group is not paying attention and is, like, looking around. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is that there wasn't an open space for kids to be, like, Here's what's happening. Here's this garden. Go, like, find something that intrigues you. Um, Yeah, it's it's a lot more nuanced than many of us might think, and a lot of our early attempts maybe fall flat when we start to learn things as adults. What's been your experience trying to reclaim some of that, like, forest-based education where you're actually drawing from the wisdom of forests and of ecosystems and successfully or uh, valuably, like seeing those attempts play out with children.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. Definitely your story reminds me of a lot of my attempts at teaching in a more traditional educational setting. Like I've been there where I thought something was so amazing and the kids were (laughs) like, nah, not so much. Um, But something that I've learned is that when something is put in front of a child and it's just kind of dropped there, and like it's up to them if they want to pick it up or not, they tend to be more receptive and really highly motivated um and This isn't really a forest school thing, but a great example of of what you were just talking about kind of turned around the other way right is that um you know I have raised garden beds in my backyard and every summer I'm out there gardening and last summer the neighborhood kids got super interested in my gardens and I had no attempt to teach them anything about gardening I was just out there gardening okay but they saw me and a lot of the kids in my neighborhood are not familiar at all with gardening or permaculture or compost or anything like that you know but they were just I have kids and they were interested in my kids and once they were in the yard they were like wait what what are you doing over there, you know, and they start asking little questions, and instead of getting annoyed that these kids are bugging me, like I could have, I kind of paused for a minute, and I realized, oh, this is a great teachable moment, like this is a really cool opportunity, and so I went, and I grabbed them a bunch of little shovels, and they kind of were in the garden working with me, and they didn't really know what they were doing, like they were kind of screwing things up, but I knew that it was important to let them, you know? So I let them get in there and dig and get their hands dirty. And I was modeling for them the right way to garden. And I was allowing them to practice at it, um, but I wasn't sitting there lecturing them, like, this is how you do it, no, that's wrong. Yeah. And then when they like tossed down the shovels and ran off to play five minutes later, I didn't say, <laughs> hey, wait, come back here, we're gardening. You know, It was just like an opportunity for them to learn. Um, using modeling and practice, which are super important for kids to learn.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, And so that's kind of how it works at Forest School. Like, the modeling I wish I could do more of, and I'm trying to think of more ways that the adults can be out there doing things the kids need to learn instead of standing there and watching the kids. Yes. Because there's a lot of standing there and watching the kids, and I really don't think that is beneficial for the kids or the adults. It's just kind of like the model we're used to. Um, But we certainly are modeling how to be outside and just be there, even in the winter and even in the rain.
0: Yeah.
1: And how to respect, you know, the land and all those things. And so the children are learning from what we're modeling and they're getting tons of practice just being out there. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids had never had a chance to, like, play in the mud before they came to forest school. And it's funny how at first a lot of them are scared. Like they they look down and realize their hands are muddy and they'll cry and they'll be so worried. And it takes a lot of coaxing, like, no, it's okay. You can play in the mud. And then once they realize it is okay, they just get such joy. And I mean, kids will spend (laughs) hours. I'm not even exaggerating. Just sitting there making little mud cakes yeah. and like filling buckets
0: <laughs> and like It's the most fun you can possibly think of.
1: It's so fun. And all of that sensory stimulation is really good for kids. Like yeah. practice experiencing different sensory things is is so amazing for kids. And there's actually a lot of problems that are becoming very common among children today. And even, you know, I grew up in the nineties, even in my generation. Um a lot of things like ADHD and sensory processing issues yeah. are becoming really common because kids don't have the opportunity to play in mud and dirt wow. and get the sensory experience that they get just from being outside without anybody having to set up
0: some yeah, elaborate
1: yeah. like sensory activity.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, they're kind of in that sense in terms of the sensory play and all of the play they do they're kind of like building the skills and the, they're like getting the tools they need to do adult work later. Yeah. To do all of like the, you know, the stuff that you probably had to do at Vine and Fig. Like if your childhood was like mine, maybe you weren't super duper pre- prepared for gardening I and composting, no lifting anything heavy, you know,
0: <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> right?
1: Like just, I mean, stuff that's like basic human, you know, basic human skills are developed yeah. just
0: by being outside and playing. So, how does your training in early education at the master's level inform your approach and philosophy for forest school, and how does this concept of unschooling or deschooling play into that?
1: I, um, I feel like for me personally. Going to school to study education actually talked me out of wanting to be a teacher in the traditional education model, and it talked me out of wanting to send my kids there, too. Mm. Um, But I I think that's something that a lot of people are realizing on their own. I think more and more research is out there about the way that children and all people learn, and what you're seeing in your typical public school environment doesn't match up with that. Um, and not to say that that is in any way the fault of the teachers or the administrators. Oh my God, are, they're doing their best. They are working so hard. Yeah. And I know so many public school teachers who are just amazing human beings and so amazing, amazing teachers and nurturers and, you know, mentors for the children that they work with. Um, but the, the larger system within which public schools operate makes it really challenging to educate children in a way that's healthy for them. And it just makes it challenging for everybody. I mean, I don't think teachers are compensated the way they should be. I don't think a lot of what's asked of them is fair. Um, And it's all very regulated. I know that when I was doing my student teaching in some local public schools, um, those schools all had what are called pacing guides. And so for each grade level, there was like this big binder that said okay the first week of september we're going to study this subject until this date and then we move on to the next subject yeah and they had that for everything for for language arts and math and social studies etc and so that was it like what was going to be studied was very strictly laid out and when the binder says move on you move on yeah instead of like learning what is actually relevant and interesting to the children And if they're still really into it, not moving on, or if they're still struggling and don't understand it, not moving on. Um, Now, obviously, teachers work really hard to find ways to help the kids who are struggling and to speak to what interests the children and is relevant to them. Teachers totally do that, but the Mm -hmm. system is not set up well
0: for that.
1: Um, And then there's also the, the age segregation thing. Yeah, that is just so weird and unnatural. Yeah, when you step back and look at it, it's not normal for kids to spend most of their time in a classroom with twenty other kids, exactly the same age as them, and then one adult. Right. Um. There's a lot that's really unhealthy about that. (laughs) um And so one of the things that I think a lot of people enjoy about homeschooling is that their children get to be in multi-age groups and with Adults, and they get to have lots of different mentors, and that's just healthier. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, so there's, there's a lot of factors. Um, and then, obviously, in more recent years, I think everyone was homeschooling at one point, whether they wanted to or not. And I think uh, yeah. more and more people have just been reevaluating education since then. Um, I will say, though, that there is a certain amount of privilege that comes along with being able Homeschool. Mm -hmm. Um and it's definitely been a struggle in our family. I feel like I'm very acutely aware of the privilege because we're always on the line of like, wait, can we can we still afford to do this? Do I need to work more? Um so I just always like to point that out. Um, that in no way am I saying that anyone is doing their child a disservice by sending them to public school. Um and a lot of people don't have a choice, um, because a lot of parents have to work whether they're a single parent or in a family where they just need two incomes, so.
0: That was gonna be my next question for you because it's hard not to acknowledge, but also, do you have any experiences that point to ways that more access can be shared with families that don't have the luxury of sacrificing one income or whatever their situation may be to put their kids in forest school kind of education models.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, doing the forest school at all is one way that at least I'm addressing the fact that some parents need to work and their kid needs somewhere to go while they're at work. Um, And so even offering it all, offering forest school at all um, allows them to have a place for their kids to go. Right. But it can be very expensive Um, So I'm working really hard to offer work trade options and I have it on the website. Nobody's really taken me up on it but I've offered bartering. Um, There's a lot of things that we need. We need firewood, we need we need like extra clothes. You know there's all kinds of things that like people could trade but usually it's their time. That's good to know. Yeah we've had parents do work trade to do work on our website. We've had parents do work trade as assistant teachers, as long as they're qualified. Um, and we've had parents do photography. Cool. Um, and so we're trying to be open to like more alternative models to help kids who maybe wouldn't be able to afford it otherwise come. Um, and I'm hoping to f- fundraise for scholarships as well.
0: Absolutely. So. And that fundraising piece is really how people who do have a little bit more financial privilege can help share that wealth with people who need scholarships for their children. So I think that is really inspiring and hopeful. It also points to how much we need to be thinking of each other and each other's needs. Yeah. Which kind of brings us back to, like, the way that kind of the intrinsic motivation of learning and in an environment where your own you're encouraged to pursue your own interests in a really engaging kind of receptive way helps you to develop an ethic of caring for yourself and caring for others at the same time. Can you speak a little bit to that evolution that like you try to be conscious of as a teacher and facilitator? and also how you've seen community kind of flourish through the parent co-teaching structure? Yeah,
1: um, well, I think, you know, I did mention before developing that intrinsic motivation and being allowed to have room to to make choices, um, which is important to us, but building community is, is really important to us as well. Um, and I think there's something about being in an outdoor environment that fosters community even more than being in a building. There are just so many situations where somebody needs a hand so they don't slip or like, well, you can't leave someone by themselves over by the creek, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like even just between the kids and adults who are out there, we build a lot of community. Um, But definitely through the parents who have done work trade and helped out. We actually started out as a a homeschool co-op and we've just built very strong community with those parents. Um, and what I like most about that is that my own children have become so close with those adults that I feel like my children have more trusted adults through this experience, which is so important. It shouldn't all be on one or two adults to to raise children. You know, they need those other trusted adults that help them in their lives. and Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It takes so. a village. It does. It really does. Which kind of... It kind of sends a little tentacle out in my mind of like speaking to parenting and how this experience of getting this forest school off the ground and pulling people together to make it happen has shaped you in your role as a parent and how you've seen your children kind of change and evolve throughout the process.
1: Yeah, um, well it kind of goes back to what you were asking before about unschooling. Um, So the type of homeschooling that we do is called unschooling. And I like to describe it as homeschooling without a curriculum, or at least not a visible, highly structured curriculum. Um, There's all different ways to homeschool, but when you unschool, it's it's based on the children's interest, Mm -hmm. and the adult is kind of a facilitator that provides resources and helps bring in mentors for whatever it is they want to learn. Um, For us, it's a very (laughs) nature-based style. So I think what's interesting is that, you know, the kids, my kids have always come to forest school and they've always been a part of it um, because they wanna go. And so that's what they they wanna learn. And spending a ton of time outside has kind of fostered all kinds of new ideas for them in unschooling. Um, My oldest daughter who's nine now is very into wild edible plants. Cool. And I think it's something that could have happened naturally anyways because she has this really strong connection with plants that other adults comment on, Mm -hmm. that's just natural and within her. But being outside all the time with us at forest school has just really piqued her curiosity. And so, I mean, it's impressive the amount of things that she knows that you can eat in the woods and she just wants to learn more and more and get more books and find more adults who can teach her. Mm. Um, so that's been really powerful for her. The edible as well as medicinal plants mm-hmm. that we find out there. Um, and also, I think for both of them, it's just helped them build strong community. Yeah. They've really come to know and love the kids that come to forest school and the adults that help out. And so they're getting to, I don't know, I feel like they're getting to grow up with a strong sense of love and support. Yeah. That I think a lot of parents who homeschool worry about that. You know, yeah. they worry about the socialization um. although really everyone I know who homeschools has very social children who do lots of things with other people so I don't totally. think it's as big of a concern as people might think um, yeah but yeah I think that has really kind of helped shape our homeschooling in that way
0: that's so cool and like I I'm interested in those kinds of things as well wild edible plants what are some of the ways that not only watching your daughters like dive in more specifically to their interests, but also, um, I guess, having your classroom be at farms and in the National Forest. How has that shaped your relationship to the place that you live?
1: Um, Yeah, it has shaped it in a huge way. Um, I feel like we have this really strong connection to several different places in our area and i'm starting to realize how that might be a a natural human way to be you know if you look back in anybody's ancestry everybody has hunter-gatherer ancestors Mm -hmm. at some point in history and even though hunter-gatherers are normally nomadic i feel like they're nomadic within a region Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm noticing that even though I feel very rooted here in this area, there are several different locations in this area to which I have built a very strong connection to. And we're starting to learn different things about those places and like which season might be the most ideal season in which to visit that place and what resources are there. And as my kids are getting older and I said, you know, my daughter's interested in, plants. She's also super interested in fishing and so we're learning like, oh this could be a really good fishing spot Mm -hmm. and this could be a really good spot to gather this plant and this is just a really nice place to go in the winter because it's sunny and there's like trees to block the wind and all those things. So I feel like before I still visited all these places but I wasn't learning as much about them as I'm learning by visiting them with forest school because like I said the kids like get down in there. and they find everything and they notice everything and they teach me so much
0: oh I'm sure if you if we were to be having this conversation with one of the children that you do forest school with what do you think they would say about like what they do every day for school or what their favorite part of going to school is or something like that
1: yeah, um, honestly, I think for them, because especially this year, well, I guess it depends on who you ask. So yeah. we have our preschoolers who are three to five, and then we started off as a homeschool co-op and we tried to integrate the preschoolers in the homeschool co-op, but we're now kind of sectioning that back off. Right. So if you ask the homeschool kids, you'd get a different answer because they're older. Yeah. If you ask the preschoolers, I mean, they would probably speak to the sensory experience. Yeah. They love playing in the mud. <laughs> they love playing in the creek yes our our number one our number one location is a second mountain farm okay we spend most of our time out there and I cannot tell you how strongly my children and I have bonded with the land there like Mm -hmm. it's intense I didn't know it was possible to bond with land in the way that we have wow out there and there's a creek running through it And it doesn't matter how cold it is, you cannot keep those children out of the creek. Like, they just want to be in the creek all the time. I don't know what it is, but they're so drawn to it. Oh, splashing. Yeah, splashing. (laughs) And, like, when there's ice, they're like, oh, cool, let's stand in the ice. I don't care if it's 8 degrees. Um, So, yeah, they would probably speak to the mud in the creek and all the sensory stuff. Um, The older kids, though, are really interested in like building shelters and the wild edibles and they talk a lot about hunting like we don't hunt obviously when we're (laughs) out there but like it's funny how their imaginative play when they're outside like as they get older it tends to take on this like let's survive in the woods type theme yes and I'm not like necessarily I mean I'm not like necessarily telling them like that's what we have to do but they it's just what they want to do. Mm-hmm. there's this natural thing as soon as they get out there they start building a fort
0: yeah you know and they're <laughs>
1: like how can we find water besides the creek like is there moss is there like a spring you know like what you know it's just they just start wanting to like learn to survive there um so they would probably speak to that if you asked any of the older kids
0: that actually inspires me because it it shifts the dynamic in my brain where When I go camping with people, especially with people who are more knowledgeable about the forest than I am, which has happened to me many times. uh, Me too. (laughs) Thankfully, um, I feel this pressure intrinsically to know what I'm supposed to do. And it's not it's not playing out in that same way of like safe exploration and play as what you're describing it's like I feel so unprepared to be like in this situation and I I guess that leads into my next question which is kind of taking the like view into the future which is like how do you see the community that you're building expanding to creating more adult spaces of like discovering and forming relationship with the forest and place and craft
1: yeah that's something that is really important to me and that I think about a lot um and so you know I mentioned my children's unschooling experience before I think the coolest thing about their unschooling experience is that I'm unschooling like right along with them yeah which is amazing and I'm learning that like even though I'm 35 I can still learn and I can still have new experiences Um, and I've gone through this big process of de-schooling, um, which is a term in the unschooling world that usually relates to kids, like leaving traditional schooling and transitioning to unschooling, but parents have to go through it too, if they're going to unschool their kids. And so I've gone through this big process of like examining my educational experience and examining what I thought my kids had to learn and what I thought I needed to know. And so I've just been going through this big process of like figuring out what is important to me to learn and know in the world and what I've been told is important but isn't really. Mm -hmm. Um, And through that and through meeting amazing people who have modeled like a beautiful, healthy lifestyle to me, um, I've just become really interested in earth-based skills. Mm -hmm. Um, Crafting in all different ways that use natural materials is really important to me. Um, as well as harvesting wild edible foods and tending wild landscapes. So I would really love an opportunity, even a little bit selfishly, for adults to learn more about those things. Absolutely. Um, cause I want to learn about those things. I want to learn about those things. Right. And other people <laughs> do too. And I know they do. I think a lot of people are just so hungry. Yeah. For that kind of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I also want community. Yeah. Being a mom in our culture can be incredibly isolating. Yeah. Um. So I would very much like to create opportunities for adults to get together and learn kind of like earth-based skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but in speaking to everything I said before about kids learning through modeling and practice and about how like the traditional schooling – everyone is the same age and all together experience isn't the most healthy. I would love to create a learning opportunity for adults where kids can be
0: present. Yeah.
1: Um, And it's kind of tricky to make that work, but I'm envisioning something where adults get together and are learning and practicing skills and kids are allowed to come and parents are responsible for their own kids. The kids can kind of just be there and watch what's going on and participate if they want. And if not, then they can just play yeah um which honestly is what happens with my kids most of the time that I go to places where I can learn about those skills um totally it's just that for me the places where I've gone to learn about those skills have been kind of far away
0: okay and so I
1: would love something in Harrisonburg where that exists um and I would love something that isn't necessarily like a class that someone has to sign up and pay for and I'm still like fleshing this vision out you know at this point in time but I would just love some kind of regular gathering where right. people can get together and share knowledge.
0: Like, oh, we're an Earth Skills Collective. Yeah, actually, yeah. I've never thought of those words, but yes, that is, <laughs> that is what I would love to do. <laughs> and that's part of the, the driving motivation for creating these conversations for me as well, because it's a space where we can sink into the philosophy and like the personal origin story of why a person lights up when they like talk about something or why something is so meaningful to learn and grow toward. And I think forming collectives where people are invited to come with their whole selves, including their children, including like their, you know, their need for connection and to practice crafting and growing something in themselves and that shared desire to grow through the tangible act of making something or practicing something, doing something with your hands. I think that's something that is really like somatically therapeutic for us and it really does build community. And I think it's something that, like you said, a lot of people are hungry for
1: yeah yeah absolutely and I think that what you said about bringing your whole self I think is so important I feel like I'm lacking in opportunities yeah for that
0: you know we're all stretched pretty thin you know (laughs) yeah and like carving out space where someone can come and feel grounded is and and do participate in something like that as a community kind of thing as a collective is really powerful I'm curious about some of the people that you've learned from, maybe the cultures that you've learned from, that have helped shape this journey that you've been on.
1: Yeah, um, well, I feel like early, early on, what got me just getting my kids out into the woods before forest school um, was a good friend of mine who helps with the forest school still. Um, We met at like a play date that our play group planned out at Riven Rock Park um, and while we were there we realized that both of us just like have this need to get outside and be with our kids outside and we thought we were the only ones until we met each other like both of us would just take our kids out into the woods once or twice a week and try to get out into the National Forest, even though it was super hard with toddlers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, So then we started meeting up with each other out in the National Forest, like, once or twice a week. And we would try to go on hikes, but they weren't really hikes. It was like we'd get there, and our kids would walk 10 feet, and then they'd be ready to just play. Yeah. Um So we would just go hang out in the woods together with our kids. Um And we'd both heard of forest school and talked about it. And we kind of realized that what we were doing was forest school, except it was just, like, two of us. And right. so... Um, so just those experiences with my friend were a big motivator. Um, and then meeting another woman really ramped up my motivation, <laughs> um, not only for forest school but for the collective idea that we were just talking about. Um, I met a woman who was traveling with her daughter and the goal of her travels was just to connect more with the earth and learn more about earth ways. Um, and when I met her, she was camped out um, on a ridgetop in a forest. Um, A family who owned the land just let her camp there with another family. And they were living in a way that I had never seen before. They were in a yurt that she had built that wasn't on a platform like most yurts. They had like a fire hearth in the middle. Mm -hmm. They were learning how to tan animal hides. And they taught me so much about actually honestly I think this woman is what sparked my oldest daughter's interest in
0: Oh, cool. wild plants.
1: Yeah. Um they introduced me to the concept that you can eat food from the woods. I yeah. had no idea that that was a thing you could do. Um and they introduced my daughter who was 5 at the time to that and it just blew our minds. And so we were like, okay, I have to learn how to live like this. Mm-hmm. Um and then from there I've just read so many interesting books and resources about that lifestyle.
0: Yeah. What are some that you would suggest for someone who is interested in like the hunter gatherer kind of um lineage that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, um so I actually just finished reading the book Hunt Gather Parent by Michaeline Duclef, I think is how her last name is pronounced. Um she is a journalist who works for NPR and oh, cool. Yeah. While well, she was doing a story um in Central America, working with families who are Mayan, she was blown away
0: yeah.
1: by how respectful and helpful the Mayan children in the village where she was were. And she had a three-year-old daughter at the time, and she was like, how did they do this? How do the people who live here parent this way? So she came back with her daughter and stayed with the people in that village for a while. She also traveled to Northern Canada and stayed with Inuit families. And she traveled to Tanzania and stayed with, I think it's the Hadza people yeah. there, um, and just learned about parenting in kind of ancestral ways. Yeah. She, she writes a lot about um, how all of our ancestors, no matter where in the world we're from, parented and what is kind of a more natural way for learning.
0: Thank you for that. I have to say, and this is going to be a little bit of like a long-winded one, so just warning you ahead of time. But I have to say that um, being, starting to become more deeply aware of various ways that Western culture has shaped my development as a human and my experience of living in the world in Western culture in industrialized modern culture has just been a very humbling and um, a very humbling experience and one that has motivated me a lot to kind of go down a path of rediscovering a relationship and a skill set of being earthbound. And I wanted to name that I'm really grateful to a lot of teachers who are indigenous, who have like written and shared a lot of cultural wisdom, even though there's been so much pain and colonization and domination. And seeing friends kind of get involved with the Line 3 movement where Anishinaabe women and two spirit leaders were creating these camps that were 100% dedicated to fighting enormous systems of fossil fuel extraction. I'm speaking about the natural gas and the tar sands oil pipelines that are so often cut through indigenous territory, even though all of this land that we call the United States is stolen indigenous land. And so like learning from teachers who have been in my life, just like people who have had the opportunity to study with people like the Maya and people like Anishinaabe, and um, it's just been really powerful. And one book that I discovered recently from my partner is a book called Plants Have So Much To Teach Us, All We Have To Do Is Ask. And it's a book of Anishinaabe uh, teachings and also recipes. And, you know, there's recipes that, they're different medicinal and like food food recipes that make use of dandelion in a thousand different ways pine needles um cattails all of these things that are our richness our wealth in the place that we live and yeah I just, uh, I'm really grateful to the amount of sharing that has happened between like some older cultures that have hung on to kind of wisdom that I feel has been so systemically erased from our lives as, you know, Americans and as people who are living in a certain capitalist paradigm. And it's almost so much to receive that generosity of like sharing teaching. So going forward, like people who are listening, I wanted to encourage just like recognizing where these teachings are coming from. It's not to homogenize indigenous cultures as if they're all the same. And yet like a common thread is a deep respect for the many forms of medicine that come from living relatives that are the plants and trees and soil and the waters and mountains and recognizing that like every time we turn on the lights, every time that we're neighboring the dismantling of mountains for coal extraction as is the case for anyone who lives in Harrisonburg because that's what's happening in West Virginia and yeah. I mean, treating water is sacred. It's just these things that we need to fold in to our learning about how we want to raise our children better and how we want to live on this earth better. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation. Is there anything that we haven't spoken to that you would like to include before we wrap up?
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I think I
0: think that covered it, and it was so great to talk with you about all of it. Thank you so much. And how can people find out more about Forest School if they're interested for their children or their yeah.
1: themselves? Yeah. Um, well, our website is fernhollowforestschool.com. So if you want to learn more about our forest school, you can look there. Um, The Eastern Region Association of Forest and Nature Schools, fans for short, is also (laughs) another great resource to learn about forest school in general. That's
0: awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you all for using your listening skills. These conversations become our own way of pollinating ideas connecting food, land, and health that we as cultural worker bees can alchemize into enduring forms of wealth made by and for the collective. When we look to the wisdom of ecosystems, we see a living model for growing our collective health and wealth through relationship. If we're looking with clear vision, we see that the only layer of separation between humans and the so-called wild is constructed in our minds. Support the podcast by rating and reviewing wherever you're listening. Do it right now. And sharing with your friends, as well as becoming a Patreon supporter to receive a very special end-of-the-season gift that will be announced soon. For all you wild honeys out there, keep creating.